good morning. If you are a visitor or a regular attender or a member, uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan. I want you to know that you are welcome here, and I am so grateful that you have joined us today. Now, I wonder if you have ever known anyone who is just unashamed about their confidence in something. When I was growing up, uh, there was a neighbor boy that was next to us, and his name was Randy, and he was a little bit older than me and a little bit younger than my brother, and so uh, we ended up, all three of us, playing together a lot, and Randy was better at everything than we were. Everything that we could do, Randy was better at it, and everything that we had, Randy had something that was better. How did we know this? Because Randy told us so, over and over and over. I wonder if you've ever known someone like this. Most of us have. Uh, someone that is unashamedly confident about something. And maybe it's someone who is unashamedly confident about their possessions or about their wealth or their appearance or their achievements or their relationships. And if we're being honest, this bothers us. Because deep down, we all know that those are false confidences. See, our confidence in our possessions or our wealth or our appearance or our achievements or our relationships, will all ultimately fail us. However, there is one confidence that we can all have that will never fail us, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can boast with confidence in the gospel unashamedly. And today I want us to see how one man is unashamed of the gospel, and I want to challenge us all to be unashamed of the gospel as well. Now today we are beginning a new series walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. And this year, uh, this series should take us all the way through the entire year. Uh, we'll take breaks for Palm Sunday and for Easter. We'll take breaks for the summer months. But all in all, uh, I plan on being in the book of Romans for a majority of 2023 for us all to discover the power of the gospel for all people, including us. And here at Mission Dorado, we practice book by book and verse by verse expository preaching, where we simply just walk through God's Word, verse by verse and book by book, and simply seek to expose what God's Word says, what it means, and then ask the question of how that applies to our lives. And this is what we'll be doing for this entire year through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Romans. When you came in, if, if you saw it, there was a table out there uh, that had scripture journals on there. I hope you'll take one of those. I hope you'll mark them up. I hope you'll use it this year. Uh, I am one of those people that I, I write so much, I have a hard time writing in the margins of my Bible. I don't have a problem writing my Bible. I just write too much, right? And so I love those scripture journals because you're able to notate them. So I hope you'll grab one. I hope you'll bring, one, bring it every week, and you'll track with us as we walk through the book of Romans. But if you didn't grab one, or if you want to use your own uh, copy of God's Word, uh, we find the book of Romans right after the book of Acts and right before First and Second Corinthians in the New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that is okay. Uh, we have one in the seat in front of you that you can use, and you can find our passage today on page 883. And that being said, let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 now. It says this, Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we first open a book of the Bible one of the first questions that we often have is, well, who wrote this book? Who penned this book? And we know that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is God's Word. But who is the human author who penned this work? Well, we don't have to look too far to wonder who wrote this book. We see the very first word in the very first sentence of this book that Paul is clearly the author of the book of Romans. Well, what is it that we know about Paul? We know that Paul has written a lot of books in the New Testament. But what is it that we know about Paul? Well, we're first introduced to Paul, who was called Saul in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. And he was a young man who was present at the stoning of Stephen. See, Paul, when he was Saul, was schooled as a Pharisee and was a man who persecuted Christians. In fact, Acts says that Saul ravaged the church and he dragged men and women who worshiped Jesus off to prison. But everything changed for Saul when he met Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. See, Saul, who was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, ran into Jesus Christ and he fell at his feet. He was blinded, and then Ananias came to him, and he told him to follow Jesus. And Saul regained his sight. He rose, and he was baptized, and he began telling everyone that he's now a follower of Jesus Christ. And immediately, Saul began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying that he is the Son of God. See, just as Saul's identity had changed internally, also externally his identity changed from Saul to Paul. And Paul's letter to Romans is one of the longest and most significant works ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. See, Paul, after this radical encounter on the Damascus Road, was changed. And he now has a new master, he has a new office, and a new purpose in life. And this is what we know about Paul from other places in Scripture. But what does Paul tell us about himself in the first verse of Romans chapter 1? Well, Paul begins by saying, hey, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. The word that Paul used here for servant would have resonated with the Roman citizens because it was also doulos. It's the word that they also used for slave in their day. And so there were millions of slaves in the Roman Empire, and a slave was looked upon as a piece of property and not a person and with zero rights. So when Paul calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ and begins by identifying who his master is, this would have perked up the ears of these Roman believers of Jesus Christ because he's saying, hey, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I have no rights of my own. See, a man may have two employers, but he only has one master. And Paul was telling us that his master was Jesus Christ. And every believer of Jesus Christ, we can declare that we were all once slaves of sin, but now we are slaves of righteousness, slaves of Jesus Christ. So Paul begins by saying, hey, first, I have a new master, and his name is Jesus Christ. Second, we see in verse 1, Paul continues saying, I'm also called to be an apostle. Now, what is an apostle? Well, we can understand the word used for apostle here to have a twofold meaning, a technical meaning and a general meaning. 
So technically, the title of apostle refers to the 12 disciples who were eyewitnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why does Paul fit into this category? Well, Paul fits into this category abnormally because he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, but not in the same way that the others did. He saw Jesus, like we talked about earlier, on the road to Damascus and received a special calling as the apostle to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 9. So technically, Paul is an apostle because he's an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he's telling others about him. But also, we can generally understand the term apostle uh, that has a meaning that applies to each and every one of us as sent out messengers of Jesus Christ, as we'll see later in verse 5. The term apostle literally means messenger. And it was often used to describe even the lowest form of people who carry specific and special messages on behalf of someone else. So in that way, we are all messengers and sent out messengers of Jesus Christ. We are all generally apostles when the term is used in that way. So in what sense is Paul using this term here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1? Well, both. Paul is saying, hey, I've seen Jesus. I'm an eyewitness of Jesus. I'm a slave to God, and I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. So we can understand through this first half of verse 1 that Paul is a slave of God, and he's a messenger of Jesus Christ. And then Paul continues, finishing verse 1, saying, And now I have a new purpose that I have been set apart for. For the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is not saying, hey, I've been called to share this good news. But he's saying that the gospel has set me apart and called me, given me the mission, given me the purpose of proclaiming this good news. Now in life, if someone says, hey, I have some good news to share with you, it sort of excites us, doesn't it? Like, hey, this is good news. I wonder if this is good news for me as well. If someone comes to you and they tell you, hey, I've got some good news and it comes from God himself, we may think they're a little bit off their rocker, right? But if they seem to believe it and if they seem normal in every other way, we at least want to hear what they have to say with this good news. This is what Paul is saying here before he jumps into the good news developed through the entire letter of the book of Romans. He's saying, hey, I'm not what I once was, right? I have a new master I have a new office and a new calling, a messenger of Jesus Christ. And I have a new purpose. And it's that I've been set apart for the good news of Jesus Christ. This is who Paul is, who is writing the book of Romans. Now let's continue looking in verses 2 through 4. Paul continues in verse 2 telling us, Hey, this is good news, but this is not new news. See, the gospel which I have been set apart for, God has promised throughout his prophets, throughout the Holy Scriptures. We saw this in Genesis chapter 3 when we looked at that for our Advent series, where we saw that before God even pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve for their sin, he revealed his plan to defeat the devil through the one who would be woman's seed. We also saw this when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, where Peter points out this in verses 10 through 12. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So we saw Peter say that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. See, the prophets prophesied about this grace, and Paul is saying we need to recognize that the salvation 
that we are presently experiencing was also prophesied in the past. See, we as believers represent the fulfillment of the prophecy in the past, and we're presently enjoying the great privilege of living in the days when salvation is being fulfilled. See, while we are living in the already and the not yet moment of time in history, in that day, the, they, they were just living in uh, the not yet time of history. Uh, see, those who prophesied about the present that we live in, they were simply just living in the not yet time of history. They knew that Messiah was coming. They knew that salvation was coming, but it had not yet occurred. And we are living in the present reality of the grace that those earlier than us prophesied about. So Paul is saying, hey, this is good news, but this is no new news, but actually news that had been prophesied about by prophets long ago. And further in verses 3 through 4, Paul says, this good news is concerning Jesus Christ who descended from David, who was declared the Son of God, resurrected from the dead, was holy, was filled with God's power according to the spirit of holiness. In other words, Paul is saying this. Jesus is the good news that was promised beforehand through prophets long ago. Think about that. The gospel is not preached if Jesus is not preached. The good news is what Christ has done for sinners. If someone asks you, what is the gospel all about? You can just simply answer the Sunday school answer. It's all about Jesus, right? See, this good news is not new news. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies from long ago is what Paul is telling us here. And then in verses 5 through 6, Paul continues telling us, hey, the purpose of this good news is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, what does the obedience of faith mean? Well, Paul simply means through the statement of faith that leads us to obedience. See, our obedience is not what saves us, right? But our saving faith leads us to obedience. Or it's been said like this by someone else. Faith is the root. Obedience is the fruit. And Paul says, hey, this is not just the goal for the nations, but this is the goal for you and I as well, that we have a fruitful faith. And then finally, in verse 7, Paul finishes up this really long introduction and greeting. And Paul then gives us an insight into who the intended original reader was for this letter. Who was this letter originally written to, which was for all the Christian believers in the city of Rome? Well, what do we know about the church in Rome at this present time? Well, we know through the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for quite some time. And it was made up of Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers of Jesus Christ. But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled all the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of the Jews, including Jesus' following Jews, were allowed to return. And this caused a lot of dysfunction within the church, a lot of tension within the church, because they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in its practices and its customs. And so this created a lot of tension within the Roman church. So Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church who was greatly divided to make the argument that the gospel is for all people. See, people disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They debated about whether non-Jewish Christians should have to follow Jewish customs. So Paul writes this letter to the Christian believers of the city of Rome with the purpose of reminding them that the gospel is for all people. And his desire was to unite this divided church. 
Even more practically, we find out later in this letter that Paul was hoping that the Roman church could become a home base of sorts for mission work to continue all the way to Spain. So it's these circumstances that motivate Paul to write out what is his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in the book of Romans. And, and, and the book of Romans. So through verses 1 through 7, uh, Paul gives us a really long greeting to the readers of his letter. And he reminds them that he has a new master, he has a new calling, he has a new purpose, and that this is not new news, but was prophesied long ago that Jesus is the Messiah and that his intention was to bring about the obedience of the faith among the nations and with him. So this is what Paul has said in verses 1 through 7. Let's continue looking in verses 8 through 15 to see what Paul says next. Paul says this in verses 8 through 15. He says, For I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine's. And I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In other words, that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. See, I am under no obligation, rather, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. So Paul continues in verses 8 through 15, and he tells his Roman readers of his feelings toward them in four ways. First, we see in verse 8, Paul tells the Roman church that he thanks God for them. He praises God for them because the whole world, meaning the whole Roman Empire, the whole Roman Empire known at this time, knew of the faith of the Christians in Rome. And in this day and time, all roads led to Rome. So the testimony of the church spread widely and it had a growing witness. Then Paul says in verses 9 through 10, hey, I pray for you. He tells the Roman church that he's praying for them and he assures that even though most of them are unknown to him, and most of them don't even know him, he assures them that he is interceding for them on their behalf, constantly at all times pleading before them for King Jesus. I mean, what a testimony is this. They didn't know about Paul's prayer for them, and they didn't know, he didn't, uh, they didn't know that Paul was praying for them at this time, but the Lord knew about it, and he honored it. I wonder in our lives today, how many of us don't even know all the people who are praying for us, right? Think about that for a moment. Paul was praying for this church, and they were unaware of his prayers, but God was still using his prayers for them. How many people do you pray for and that pray for you that you don't even know who is being prayed for, but God is still blessing the prayers of his saints? And one of Paul's prayers is that he would, if it would somehow be God's will, that he could come and he could visit them. See, Paul prays for them, and he longs to go see them, And then third, we see in verses 11 through 13, Paul continues telling them that he longs to see them so he may impart to them some spiritual gift to strengthen them. Paul explains what he means by this in verse 12, that by one another's faith, both his and theirs, that they may be both mutually encouraged. 
And we see Paul's pastor's heart here. He longs for others to be encouraged and strengthened through one another. And there's a lot of truth here. I mean, we get this, don't we? I mean, for example, for many of us in this room today, maybe this was a difficult week. Maybe it was a long week. Maybe it was a hard week. But there's just a joy and an encouragement in being in the house of the Lord that's difficult to put into words that comes from just gathering with other believers, doesn't it? See, while we're here for vertical worship to worship God, there's also an element of horizontal encouragement here mutually that exists. We can understand this when we're unable to go to church for a while and then we return and it's, there's just a joy in being in the house of the Lord. Or maybe we also can understand this when we go on a mission trip or we're out of town and we're able to worship with other brothers and sisters whom we've never met and there's just a comfort there and a joy there because there's a sibling bond that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ even whom we've never met. And so Paul is saying that here and he says that they may impart some gift here. Well, the word that he uses for gift here is charisma, which we get our word charismatic from. Now, before you get any ideas, regardless of the modern charismatic movement, we can understand the word for charismatic here to be defined as compelling charm, which inspires devotion in others. So Paul is saying here, he's telling them, hey, I desire to see you so we can impart to one another some excitement and strengthen our devotion to the Lord by one another's fellowship. We see Paul's pastor's heart here. He longs for them to be strengthened in their devotion to the Lord so that they may be eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So there may be a harvest reaped, or in other words, so that the gospel may be spread by the mutual encouragement that occurs between them. And then finally, we see in verses 14 through 15, Paul reveals his heart that he's burdened to share the gospel with everyone. Now, Paul uses strong language here that he's under obligation. And AJ, you'll appreciate this, and Mike, you'll appreciate this. I really like the language of the King James Version here, right? <laughs> Where it translates this as Paul says he is a debtor to both Greeks and barbarians. And so he's in debt to both the Greeks and the barbarians. And we know how debt works in today's society in America, don't we? We're in an in-debt society. It means most commonly today that we borrow money from someone, and we're in debt to them until we pay it back. But equally, another way that debt works is if a friend of mine were to give me $1,000 to give to you, then I am in debt to you until I hand over what has been entrusted to me. And Paul is saying here, Jesus Christ has entrusted me with the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shared with both the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish, everyone. So I am indebted to share with them what has been entrusted to me. And therefore, Paul says, it's because of this sense of debt to those who are in Rome that I'm eager to share the gospel. Uh, Paul was a debtor to the world with the gospel, but not just Paul. We are as well, aren't we? See, if we have heard the gospel and believed it, then we have been entrusted with this. If the gospel has come to us, then we have been entrusted with it, and we have no freedom to just keep it to ourselves. See, the gospel is not just good news for me, but it is good news of great joy for all people, and good news is for sharing. And therefore, we are under, no obliga we are under obligation to make it known to others. And in some form or fashion, we're all in debt with the good news of Jesus Christ, just as Paul was. And therefore, we must all be burdened to share the gospel with everyone. Let's continue reading 
as we finish our passage today, where Paul finishes his thought here in verses 16 through 17. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, so far in verses 1 through 15, Paul has told us who he is. He's told us that this gospel is not new news and that it is good news fulfilled through Jesus Christ and that this gospel empowers the obedience of faith that Paul longed to be with them in Rome. He thanks God for them. He prays for them. He longs to see them. And he has a burden to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. Now, Paul gets to the meat and the potatoes of what he's saying. Like he gets to his main idea here, the point of the opening of his letter. He is telling us that the gospel is the saving power in which the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel is the saving power of God in which the righteousness of God is revealed. And this main idea plays its way throughout the entire letter as Paul explains and he defends this saying, he says this, he says, we see that no one is righteous. We see that by faith in Christ, one is declared righteous. We see that Christians are slaves to righteousness. We see that what a righteous life looks like in the church and the world. So the book of Romans tells us how unrighteous people are to be righteous and how to live out practical righteousness and that it's only possible through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Therefore, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is another way or an indirect way of Paul saying that he is proud of the gospel. See, the culture of Paul's day was telling him that he should be ashamed of the gospel, that it was foolishness or it was folly. But Paul instead indirectly claims that he is proud of the gospel. Someone once claimed that there's no sense in declaring that you're not ashamed of something unless you've been tempted to be ashamed of it, right? And Paul has certainly been tempted to be ashamed of the gospel in his day with the many headwinds and even physical torment that encouraged him to be ashamed of it. But he gives a resounding proclamation of, no, I am proud of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. And Jesus said something very similar in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, didn't he? Where he said, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory with his fathers, with the holy angels. But Paul is saying here, I'm not ashamed. I am proud of the gospel. So how did Paul and how should we overcome this temptation to be ashamed of the gospel? Well, Paul tells us in the second half of verse 16, it's by remembering that the gospel is in fact the power of God for salvation for all believers. Well, how do we know this? Well, we see evidence of it. We see evidence of our, in, our, in our own lives as believers of Jesus Christ that we're not what we once were, that we're more like Jesus today than we were yesterday, and that we recognize because we are saved that we are being saved, and one day we will be fully saved, that we have been viewed as just in God's eyes, that the Holy Spirit fills us with the power of God right now, and He enables us to say no to our sin more today than we did yesterday. And we have a confident assurance that one day we will be glorified when we are fully saved from this sinful world. And this is good news for everyone believes. 
And then Paul continues in verse 17, and he says this. He says, hey, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And then he says in verse 17, excuse me, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. See, through God's saving power, God's righteousness is being revealed. Well, what does this mean? Well, we could go incredibly deep in a hurry right here, and we could spend an entire sermon on this one verse. But for the sake of your time and attention, we can summarize it like this. The righteousness of God is God putting sinners in right standing with himself by imputing upon us the righteousness of himself, which we have not earned. Or to put it even more simpler, we get what we don't deserve, right? A life and a relationship with God because Jesus got what he didn't deserve, death on the cross. Well, how is this accomplished? Well, Paul says this is accomplished by faith through and through. Paul affirms what he's just said, that this is nothing new. But in fact, it was written in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that the righteous shall live by faith. And remember, our faith is evidence of our trust in God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, anyone can believe in God. Even the demons believe in God. But what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a Christian, is to have faith that is evidenced by our trust in him. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, this requires a crucifixion of our pride because no one is more trustworthy than God. See, to have faith in God is to trust God with our life, to admit that we don't know it all and that we can't be good enough and that we must trust God to do what we cannot to save us from our sins, to make us just in the eyes of God. And we have faith that God can do what we cannot. And that's one of Paul's main arguments in this letter. So what Paul has just said, he said, hey, I'm eager to preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed of it, right? I know that there is power in the gospel to save everyone who believes and trusts God with faith. And it's through this trust and this faith that the righteousness of God is being revealed and how he saves and how he changes sinners. Paul is just beginning this great theological letter by affirming and confirming that the power of the gospel, it is the power of the gospel to reveal the righteousness of God through us and in us. And Paul is not ashamed of this gospel message, but he's proud of it and he's eager to share it with everyone. Now, this is what God's word says and how we can understand what it means. But I wonder today, how is it that we can take God's word and we can apply it to our own lives? So today for us, I just have three simple applications and observations for us today. First application is this. Paul had confidence in the gospel and we too can have great confidence in the gospel. We see through Paul's letter here that he had a great confidence in the gospel. And Paul says that the gospel is the power of, uh, the power of God for salvation for everyone. And that is some type of confidence. What does it look like to have confidence in the gospel? Well, for Paul, it looked like a man who was on his way to do harm to followers of Jesus Christ and was radically and forever changed by the grace of God on the Damascus Road, an encounter that changed his entire identity internally and externally. What does it look like for us? Well, for us, it looks like trusting that Jesus is enough. It looks like having faith that Jesus is enough to save us. We have confidence that Jesus Christ alone saves 
And well, that's easy to say, but what's the temptation? Well, the temptation that we're all inclined that we're all inclined to believe and to pretend is that we bring something to the table, right? That Jesus doesn't have to fully save us as much as the next person over here because somehow we're really not that bad, but we have some part in not being of as wretched of a sinner as we truly are. And that's the temptation for all of us to believe. And we can say, well, I gave this much money, or I served in this capacity for this many years, or well, I did this, or I did that. But to really have confidence in the gospel, the only place that I have in it is being a wretched sinner who's completely and fully dependent upon the full weight of the righteousness of God for salvation. See, to fully have confidence in the gospel, we must first recognize that we have nothing to do with our salvation, but it is a free gift of God. Also, to fully have confidence in the gospel, we must secondarily recognize that there is none of us that are beyond the ability of salvation. See, the righteousness of God imputed upon us is so magnificent and it's so great that there is none that is so much of a sinner that they are beyond the salvation of Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, Jonathan, you don't know what I have done. You don't know my past. I know that your past is that you are a sinner. And in that regard, we are all on level ground. See, God does not look upon you as a 10th degree sinner and look upon me as a first degree sinner. God just sees a sinner who is in need of a savior. So today you can have confidence in the gospel that first it is Jesus who fully saves and secondarily that Jesus' righteousness is available to all for salvation. See, we can have a great confidence in the gospel today. Well, why does this matter? Why does it matter that we have confidence in the gospel? Well, Paul in verse 5 of this text that we looked at today said that the grace received brings about the obedience of faith. See, when we have a great confidence in the gospel, then we have faith in the gospel. And when we have faith in the gospel, then we have trust in the gospel. And our faith leads us to trust and our trust leads us to obedience. So when we have a great confidence in the gospel and the grace of God, then it brings about the obedience of faith. So today, let's be confident in the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the grace of God for salvation and let it lead us all to obedience. Second observation from today's text is this. Paul was unashamed of the gospel. Are you? Are you eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ? In our text today in verse 16, we saw Paul claim that he was not ashamed of the gospel, that he was proud of the good news of Jesus Christ, even in the face of persecution and ridicule. And in Paul's culture, the gospel caused great offense. In a culture that didn't even have a word for humility, it called for men and women to admit that they had a need that they could not meet. It called for humility, and it called for humans to admit that they were not God, right? In our culture, the gospel still causes great offense because it causes humanity to admit that we can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that, bootstraps, that we can't supply all our needs, and ultimately that we are not in control, that we are not God. See, the gospel always causes offense because it reveals us as having a need that we cannot meet. And humans ultimately want to meet all their needs and be God. That's the tension right there. So we have to, we're always tempted to be ashamed of it because of the pressures of the culture that is surrounding us and telling us that 
we should be able to meet our own needs. However, we also need to remember that the gospel is the power of God, right? We need to remember the gospel reveals God's righteousness, and it's the way that we receive his righteousness. So when we understand the righteousness of God is being revealed by the grace of God through the gospel, when we understand grace, it shifts our entire, our entire attitude and temptation from being tempted to being ashamed of the gospel, to being proud of the gospel and eager to share it. When we understand the depth of what was accomplished on the cross, that we get something that we did not deserve, and we understand grace, we can't wait to share it with everyone we meet. See, when we begin to catch a glimpse of the holiness of God, the wonder and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ, it stirs us so deeply that we can't wait to share it with everyone that we meet. Not because some preacher told us to, or not because we know we ought to, or not because we feel we have to, but because we want to and love to for his name's sake. So my question for you today is this. Have you allowed the power of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ to stir you so deeply that it's caused you to be unashamed of the gospel, even when it is offensive to others? Have you allowed the power of the gospel to stir you so deeply that it has caused you to be eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ and this good news of great joy with everyone that you meet? Hear me, our world today desperately needs men and women who are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are eager to share it. You want to change the world. You want to make a difference in the world It's the gospel that can change the world. It's the gospel that can make a difference. It is the good news of Jesus Christ that we don't have to have it all together because we have a God who has all things together. That can change the world. So would you be eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ even when it is offensive to others? Paul was unashamed of the gospel, and we can be unashamed as well. My last application for today is this. Do you believe the gospel? Paul was confident in the gospel. He was unashamed of the gospel because he fully believed the gospel. Do you? Today, even if you do believe the good news of Jesus Christ, would you just be reminded and celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ? That we have a Redeemer whom we can rejoice in. We remember this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins that we were following the course of this world, that we were sons of disobedience, that we lived in the passions of our own flesh, that we carried out the desires of our bodies and our minds, and we were by by nature children of wrath, worthy of the wrath of God. And that's incredibly bad news. But then we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And it's by grace, not anything we've done, by grace, you have been saved. So we know and we celebrate this great great truth that there is a God who is perfect and he's holy and he's never done anything wrong, nor can he do anything wrong. And he can't be associated with sin. Yet all of us as humanity, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done something wrong. We're all sinners. And this is really bad news and this creates a problem because a holy God cannot be associated with sin or sinners. And so we are separated from the holy God who loves us and created us. And therefore we need help. We need rescue. 
But thanks be to God, God loved us so much that he sent a rescuer. He sent help named Jesus Christ. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a baby, being fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a fully perfect, sinless life here on earth. But yet he went to the cross and he died for your sins and for my sins. Three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave so that today we don't have to remain separated from him, but we can have a redeemer named Jesus Christ. If we repent of our sins, turn from our sins, believe in Jesus Christ and follow him, then we will be saved and we can be saved. Today, maybe you know this great truth. Let's rejoice in it. Let's remember the grace of God that has been bestowed upon us. Let's leave here with confidence in the good news and the grace of Jesus Christ. Today, maybe you don't know this truth. Maybe you've never believed. Today, I want you to know that you can also have a great confidence in the gospel today because no one is beyond the point of salvation. You don't have to earn this free gift. You don't have to be good enough to come to the Lord. You don't have to do anything to earn his favor. You can just call on the name of the Lord for salvation to tell him that you believe in him and turn from your sins and follow him. And today you can have this good gift and this confidence in the gospel that I've been talking about. See, the gospel is not just good news for me. It's not just good news for the members of Mission Dorado, but the gospel is the good news of great joy for everyone who believes. So today we have seen we can have confidence in the gospel. We can be unashamed of the gospel. We can rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. And our big idea for today's text is this. The gospel is good news, which we can have an unshakable confidence in for us and for others. The gospel is good news, which we can have an unshakable confidence in for us and for others. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Believer in this room, can I just urge you today to have confidence in the good news of Jesus Christ, to have confidence that leads you to trust in him, and it leads you to obedience. Let's be confident in the good news of Jesus Christ and let it drive us to our obedience in him. Today, what are some ways that maybe you haven't been fully trusting and obeying him? Would you repent of those ways? Would you commit to trusting and obeying him fully because of the confidence that we have in the gospel for salvation? Believer here today, Would you be unashamed of the gospel? Would you be proud of the gospel? And would you allow that to cause you to be eager to share the gospel? Maybe today you haven't been eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your coworkers and your family and those who you meet, your friends and your family, because of the offense that it causes. But today, would you repent of that? And would you be proud of the good news of Jesus Christ? And would you boast in him alone? Maybe you're here today, and like I just said earlier, you've never believed this good news. I want to invite you today to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you come today, and would you call on the name of the Lord for salvation? Don't delay. Just trust him today. In a moment, when we sing a song, that's the moment that you can come down front, and I can help you walk through this. Would you come today? Whatever it is that you need to do, believer or non-believers, the altar is open. Now is the time in our service to do business with the Lord today. Church, I love you. Let's pray.